Um, Shanaz, may I kindly check if there are any apologies this morning? This morning. Good morning, Chair. The only apology is that still standing was the one we received from the minister that is out of the country. And then from the member side, um, just Dr. Kamalu will leave the meeting earlier today at around 11. That's the only okay. apology. Thank you very much, uh, Shanaz. Um, all right, honorable members, thank you very much for availing yourselves this morning. Um, today we'll be dealing with the um, with an update from the DSI on the implementation of the Indigenous Knowledge Systems Act um, with particular reference to the IK Act regulations and public participation process, registration of IK um, documentation centers, National Indigenous Knowledge Systems Office, NEXO, um, and its establishment as specialized as a specialized service delivery unit, um, biocultural protocols, recognition of prior learning, and commercialization. I believe the the DG is on the platform. If I'm not mistaken, I, yeah, I do see him, colleagues. This is a this is a, a follow up meeting. It's an it's an update. We've been doing a lot of work as the portfolio committee on. Um, the IKS Act, and I think it's something, DG, that the committee has been extremely passionate about and committed to um, in ensuring its implementation. And I think even during the times of COVID, um, we were concerned on whether or not that work um, continues to take place in terms of promoting and protecting um, Indigenous systems. Of course, at that particular time, our main focus was on traditional uh, medicines, um, as we were, of course, referring to 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 um, or responding um, to uh, COVID. But of course, what we, we must continue to appreciate is that um, when we speak about IKS, we speak beyond um, its medical components. And I think many of us tend to relate it to that, but there's so much more um, in relation to that. I mean, I think even when we were... Um, when we were at uh, at um, at Stellenbosch University and we were receiving a briefing um, from DHET and um, Stellenbosch University in relation to the transformation agenda, the progress on the transformation agenda there, um, when DHET was presenting, of course, on 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 um, the language uh, policies, um, we, we we did reiterate to a great extent as the portfolio committee the importance for. Um, for the Department of Higher Education and Training to work together with the Department of Science and Innovation, considering that there's so much work that DSI is doing around IKS and um, around language as well. And we'd like to see better uh, or increased rather um, collaboration and cooperation between the two departments in relation to that. So DG, um, we, we are excited to, to um, see what uh, progress uh, has been made by the DSI in relation to this. And uh, we look forward to the presentation that you and your colleagues will be making this morning. It's now 9.06. Um, we, we can begin with the DSI. And also to honorable members, please do try and stay on the platform um, till the end because we will be adopting minutes um, and reports um, towards the end of, of the meeting and therefore we will need to create for that. Um, thank you very much, Dichi. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Chair and Honourable Members. It's always a great pleasure um, to engage with yourselves. 
Uh, I won't be long. Um, I'll ask uh, uh, Professor Seleti to take you through the presentation, but as you are on the progress that we have made in the implementation of the uh, IKS Act. Just to give you maybe two or three highlights, uh, next week or next month, um, we've already uh, been to the cluster and we are going to cabinet uh, to share with cabinet the progress we are making in terms of how to regulate the sector. Today, this afternoon, I'll be launching um, the um, Indigenous Knowledge Registration System, uh, which we will be doing here in Pretoria um, at the Fire and Ice as part of, uh, again, uh, the work that we're doing. That's very, very important because if you if you haven't registered and we, we cannot claim uh, that the knowledge belongs to uh, either yourself or a community, uh, then when there are benefits sharing further down the line, um, it becomes difficult to get involved in that. Uh, two weeks ago, I think I launched a workshop on the recognition of uh, prior learning in KZN. Um, and yesterday, I don't know if some of you had the opportunity to listen to um, Professor Gilbert Matsabisa from the University of the Free State, where they were excited about the lab that they uh, have opened up and where they are doing clinical trials uh, on some of the uh, IKS and natural products uh, to treat COVID-19. So uh, the progress is phenomenal, uh, Honorable Mkacha and, 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 and the rest of the uh, members who are very, very excited about this work and that we have stayed the course. So I'll hand over then to um, Professor Seleti. Uh, I may disappear, Chair, I've got a, um, a vaccine meeting around about half past nine, but I hope I'll, I'll, I'll rejoin uh, perhaps just to pick up on the Q&A later on. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Chair. Uh, Professor Seleti, could you uh, then take us through the updates? Thank you. Good morning. I'm sorry I was muted. Um, thank you very much for the introduction, and I hope you can hear me. Yes, but could you put the presentation on the full um, uh, um, presentation mode, Prof? Yes. All right. Thank, thank you, uh, Dr. Mjwaha, for that. And uh, we are speaking to seven elements of uh, our update to the portfolio committee. The, probably on a couple of points, if you allow me, uh, and especially the last one that the DG has introduced on Professor Masavisa, maybe Dr. Chabalala if, uh, could speak to a bit of that work on when we come to the commercialization of indigenous knowledge. Uh, and then I, I, we have a couple of items as well on the recognition of prayer learning on which Ms. Pango could also add on uh, in terms of uh, the extension of that work within the country. So having said that, le let me move on then to uh, begin the presentation uh, in terms of uh, the scope of the work. 
The, to begin with, in terms of the regulation, uh, beginning with that work on the regulation, the regulation sets out to provide conditions for access and conditions for use of indigenous knowledge. But also, as the DG has mentioned, there is the management of the rights of the knowledge holders, but also the management of the rights of the users of that knowledge. And eventually, we hope that this would result into the benefit sharing and compliance. So the management of benefit sharing and the making sure that there is compliance around those areas is the role of the regulatory process. There might be issues of transboundary uh, indigenous knowledge uh, between our neighbors in Namibia or Lesotho or Botswana. Uh, and so there, there is also the role of uh, that um, regulatory element in uh, intervening in those areas. And then it will also be a national competent authority uh, in the regulation of indigenous knowledge based. Currently, we work with the Department of Environmental Affairs on bioprospecting, and we're working towards uh, a joint effort in the regulatory uh, elements around that, those issues. So that is uh, critical that we do state out the regulatory part of this uh, work. Then we have been to the portfolio committee many times. And one of the times uh, we were told by the select committee on communications and public enterprise that we needed to embark on a public awareness campaign on the act through uh, and in most languages and that we should do, uh, get into the rural areas and the deep rural so that this is not just an urban issue. And I am happy to report that to date, we have conducted these public awareness campaigns in all the provinces. And these are just uh, an indication. Uh, I won't go through all of them, but it is just to show you that uh, we have covered, and these are the dates and the times that we spent into the provinces. And um, so we, we, we have indeed uh, been surprised by the interest in indigenous knowledge in these communities and the participation by the communities in the public awareness. One of the crucial elements that we have also been carrying out is to begin to prepare the communities for the time when the act is implemented. And for them to benefit greatly and to participate greatly, they need to organize themselves. So we have a tool, the biocultural uh, protocols that uh, we've been able to use in terms of um, getting communities to discuss them, to share their ambitions, and then to formulate them into an, an agreement. So these are developed through participatory decision-making processes within communities and are based on communities' customary norms, values, and laws. 
and then we translate them into an agreement. So, so before the regulations on the IK Act are implemented, the biocultural protocols should be in place to empower communities or now to engage with third parties. And so we have also been carrying out this work. The, uh, just as a summary, where have we been in terms of conducting the biocultural protocols? It is not even, you can see that in a couple of provinces, there has been a lot more work. And uh, I think that uh, Honorable uh, Mutsasi will be pleased to note that I have 16 communities in the Eastern Cape and 16 communities in KZN, as we are not uh, the progress made here. There is also 16 communities in Hauteng which have been covered. So this is a great success to have been able to uh, bring in so many communities with biocultural protocols, workshopping them around that. It's, it's, it's a great feat. And uh, I think that uh, we should put that down as one of our great achievements. This is just some photographs to show uh, the participation and where it has been happening. And so is that and, and uh, very animated, as you can see active uh, in, in the activities. So it's been really a worthwhile uh, activity for us. Then I would like to uh, begin to focus on the, um, the, the regulations, just, just to cover where we are. In, um, it, it's not, we, we started this work with, uh, We've done it internally. We, maybe this is another important point that we should stress. Both the act that was passed and the regulations that are coming through and all that, we do it internally in the DSI. We have not sought experts to assist us. It's the department, uh, the legal unit, and the science missions that have been working uh, on the draft regulations uh, and, and also with the uh, DSI executive committee that have been giving us direction uh, on this. So, so far, we have done a couple of meetings with the executive committees in 2020 and last year in, 2020, in March. And in August last year, the minister approved the regulations to be presented before the ESET cluster, and on 19 November, we did that. To date, the minister has signed this, and next week, uh, if there's a cabinet meeting, we will be scheduled to present the regulations to cabinet so that they give us permission to go and publicly consult on the regulations. We think that it is important for this process of public consultation and the, uh, as a way of going forward. I, I will share a bit later on the, some of uh, the uh, timeline on the implementation of that. But just to indicate here that uh, the regulations are accompanied by legal documents, which needs to be in place. So we have already
Um, may I check if that's my network or Prof. Saletti's network? No, I think we're together this time. <laughs> it's together. It's Prof. Saletti. Um, Prof, your, your network, I think, is giving us challenges. You've just gone quiet. Honorable members, um, good morning. This is Shumi. I'll try and call Professor and, and see if um, he can be able to go in and out. Okay, thank you for that, colleagues. I guess we will just be a bit patient while we try and fix that particular challenge. Okay, sure. Hello, am I audible? We can hear you again, and we've lost the presentation, so you'll have to start sharing the presentation again. Okay. Um, let me... Um, just uh, for screen. Um, um, can, can you see the presentation again? We can see the presentation and it will just require that you put it in full presentation mode. No, thank you. All right. I think we're, we're fine now. All right. I was on the, this slide just uh, indicating that we have completed this work and that this will be digital documents on the portal that the DG is going to launch this afternoon on the indigenous knowledge registration. Oh. So we're cutting off. Apologies. I think, um, I, think I, I was trying to wait for the, for the um, application to open in full presentation, mode, but it's not. So if you can try and... Click that button again. Um, okay. There we go. We are back in the presentation. We are fine now. Thank you. Okay. No, thank you very much, Chair. Um, and I was just saying that we have completed this work and it is uh, in digital form and we'll be able to load it on the portal so that anyone that is working in this area, there's no time wasted. And we can easily identify the communities that uh, own this uh, indigenous knowledge and also uh, link them up with the people that are uh, um, wanting to use them. Uh, and we'll wait for this until the regulations have been uh, approved and they are ready to be implemented. So le let me move on in terms of uh, the process of uh, implementing the uh, regulations, because this is a critical instrument, and where are we at? So this just indicates some of uh, the past activities. We've had uh, uh, an opinion from uh, the uh, um, Office of uh, um, 
the the chief uh, i mean the the, the OCSLA office that's about uh, from the department of justice on their legal opinion on the regulations we've got that uh, and uh, we of course have indicated that uh, we're going to cabinet so all these processes have gone through uh, and then we hopefully after we've gone through cabinet we'll then arrange for this process to go public and then we'll also translate these regulations in local languages so that uh, the as we go through the process of consultation this is done in local languages and uh, we will ensure that people can access and understand them in the process of consultation. Uh, we hope to complete and revise the activities by the third quarter of uh, this year, uh, considering looking at where we are at, this is possible, is a feasible arrangement. Uh, and then we will uh, get them back to the minister and hopefully get them back to you as a portfolio committee um, towards the end of the year. And in the first quarter, we're hoping that uh, we will have completed the process in line with the intended purpose of launching the SSDU on 1st of April, 2023. So that is the roadmap on the regulations. We've shared a little more in detail on this one because it's an important instrument. We cannot open an SSDU without having the regulations in place. I've already made reference to the service delivery unit. We have had discussions and work done by the GTAC, uh, who have prepared a business case. The, so we had gone through to uh, activities within the committee where the National Treasury, the, B, the DPSA were convened. Uh, and they requested for two items to be completed uh, and we returned to them. The funding model for the SSTU and the service delivery plan. These are complete. And in the next X committing of uh, maybe the 4th of uh, April, we will present this so that we can take it back to the DPSA and National Treasury Committee to further process them in terms of finalization of uh, the requirement for the SSTU. So we think that we'll also be uh, uh, making good progress on that. The, this is just a summary of uh, the activities that have been done, the feasibility study, the business case, the interdepartmental committees that have met around this, and the funding model and the service uh, delivery uh, plan. Having covered these elements, uh, I wish to move on to the registration of indigenous knowledge. This serves the purposes of recording, preserving, protecting the knowledge of indigenous communities so that it can prevent biopiracy and exploitation without benefits going to the community. It aims to ensure that the socioeconomic benefits arising from the use of communal indigenous knowledge resources will flow back into the local communities 
who are the generators and custodians of this knowledge. So in terms of the act, this uh, registration will be facilitated through a curator who will be appointed for that work. We have achieved two major uh, activities. One is to transfer the ICAST registration system to the Data Intensive Research Initiative of South Africa, DERISA infrastructure. This is a safe place in terms of cybersecurity and also the capacity to store this information. There is limited, uh, limitless uh, uh, capacity there. So the IKS documentation uh, will be based uh, on the RISA around that issue. And, and we must also indicate that the system has been tried and we have synced uh, the information uh, on the central system by September last year. We also know that uh, the subsystems of uh, these registration systems will be the NICSO portal, on the NICSO portal, the communities can also uh, brand themselves. Uh, so they will have opportunity to say something about themselves. Then there's the national ICAS management system. This is the IT system that will enable us to manage, but also to protect the indigenous uh, knowledge. We then have the provincial ICAS documentation centers that uh, in every province, we do have one. And the portfolio committee uh, would be free to visit any one of them and probably be taken through the experience of how the knowledge is um, collected and documented around that. But just to indicate that uh, the, the fourth element of this is the pharmacopoeia. The pharmacopoeia is a library, it's a digital library of published materials on the use of plants and especially medicines in South Africa. And, and so because this is already in the public domain, this particular pharmacopoeia would uh, therefore be accessible to everyone within the country without um, any limitation. So the portal here is a gateway. Everyone that needs to work on this, they go through the portal. If they want to access the legal documents, that I talked about earlier on, they go through the portal. Uh, and of course, we were also working on making the portal language to be also in other languages. So that people would be able to access the information in, uh, and uh, use the system uh, in their own languages. But, uh, by the way, the recording of the information that we collect in communities is collected in the languages wherever they are, we do not translate, we collect it in the original languages and we preserve it in that direction because we must keep the, uh, in the, the, the original um, work as original. So in terms of the management system, as I've already given really the scope of this, the system has been tested. We've done a dry run of this system to see whether it's working or not. Uh, and we are confident that it is flowing quite well. We've been working with the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research 
in building this system. It is not a system we've copied from somewhere else. The system that we've built from scratch so that uh, uh, we can limit the uh, purposes of depending on others to maintain this system. And I think that the, I've done quite a lot of work around that. What is it that is in the system at the moment? It has covered over 2,000 IK uh, holders. We have just about or slightly over 10,000 claims and 3,000 recordings of high quality in, in the saver. In terms of what we claim as an IKS claim, this refers to a the details in the catalog, which would involve the name, the surname of the IK holders, their physical address, their contact details, the IK claims, and the use and how they acquired that knowledge. They must meet the criteria of indigenous knowledge. So we do this work. And then the IK recordings refer to the full details of the catalog claimed, the information that they give, but also they go into the field and take uh, videos of the materials that are being used, and that is kept as part of the information so that uh, in future we know what this is referring to. The reports of the, uh, this system is that it will be launched okay, uh, by the Director General this afternoon, uh, and the and we hopefully there are two aspects of it: the pharmacopoeia and the portals will be open to the public. But the recorded indigenous knowledge, we need to get the regulations in place for them to uh, begin to access that information. We hopefully that the users of this information will be researchers, industry, and communities themselves but there will be protocols to access that confidential information. But all those instruments will be available online to make the process short and efficient. I will move on to the uh, one more uh, area of our work, which is a very challenging piece of work. The recognition of prior learning, we've already reported in the past that this was a part of our IK policy which emphasized that since this knowledge had been marginalized and had not been part of uh, the uh, national qualification uh, system, we needed to find ways in which to bring it in. So the act outlines the purpose of uh, the recognition of prior learning and the instruments that will be used. So in order to enforce this, it will require assessors uh, and therefore uh, the process the, sets out the application process on how it can be done. Uh, and, the, and also we've been working on the uh, criteria and that the assessors will need to meet uh, in the areas of their specialization. So far, we are focused on traditional healing systems. And we have found that there are designations of these knowledge practitioners, uh, which will uh, be registered 
and then we'll need to certify people uh, uh, and record their registration uh, of the designations on that system. Hopefully, when this work is done, we'll be, work, we'll be able to work closely with the Department of Health who are going to register the traditional healers as practitioners. Now, what we are providing is a system that proves that these uh, people who are being registered have the competencies to be able to perform that work. So we are more on ascertaining the competencies. So this will facilitate the work of the National Department of Health as they go forward. The work um, that we have been doing has been in the traditional health practitioner, uh, traditional health system, has focused in the areas of Ubungoma, Unyanga, and then Ubeletisi. Uh, and we are now focusing on the rights of passage for young men and the rights of passage for young women. That process is now merely continuing with the setting of the norms and standards. But within those three other categories that I've mentioned, the, the herbalists, diviners, and the midwives, the norms and standards for three provinces have been completed. And uh, probably I should provide a reason why these three provinces. The initial criteria was to look at the groupings of uh, African language groups and traditions. So we looked at the Nguni group, and then we looked at the Sutuswana, and then we also looked at the Khoi and San groupings, uh, 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 and, uh, uh, and we looked at these as a basis of uh, going through. And then in Limpopo, the Sutu, Swana, and Pedi are closely linked. So we had to look at one other group. So we looked at the Venda and Songa tradition. So the areas where we will be piloting would be an example of the Nguni in terms of KwaZulu-Natal, an example of the Sutu, Swana, Pedi in terms of the Northwest, and then in the Venda and Batonga in Limpopo. So that is the rationale why those provinces seem to be prominent. However, this is a national system, so we'll have to extend to the other provinces to ensure that the work covers, uh, that the work that is being done is in line with the traditions uh, in those provinces. We'll not assume just that because it is Nguni and we are in KwaZulu-Natal, that it will be the same in the province of uh, Eastern Cape. Uh, we would test that. So the results, we hope that this um, will begin with the pilot uh, and then that the result will be used to develop a national certification model in traditional health and practice discipline of competence. And the project target is to assess about the pilot project target is to assess about 200 uh, uh, practitioners per province uh, in the three categories. The certification assessment of KZN is expected to run uh, from March uh, into April uh, and followed then by Northwest and Lipopo. The Northwest and Lipopo 
we are establishing the steering committees in the provinces that will lead this work. Um, probably I must say a little more on this. The assessment of traditional health practitioners will be done by traditional health practitioners themselves. We've inducted the steering committee in KwaZulu-Natal of 13 people that will carry out this work. And we are on the process of moving to appoint those uh, people as well in Limpopo and Northwest. None of us in the office are involved in the assessment. It is the work of indigenous knowledge holders themselves. These are merely the uh, programmatic uh, work that is involved. Probably you would be interested to know that uh, we mobilize traditional leaders, we chairs of the and secretaries of traditional health practitioners, and then districts uh, uh, officials. In KZN, this will be piloted in four districts, uh, Aliguala, Mkanyakude, Zululand, and Etequini. And we brought all these uh, stakeholders together so that they could help us in mobilizing the traditional healers that would then uh, subject themselves to the uh, test. And uh, the complete uh, process is that by June, we expect, we expect that the report on KZN will be completed and submitted to the minister. And, and then we'll move on to work in the Northwest and also in Limpopo, and we'll follow the same process that we are going. And we hopefully that by uh, September, this work would also be concluded uh, in terms of the uh, piloting. There is some work that still needs to be done. Uh, these are just the instruments we have spoken about the steering committees. We have an, a national task team of traditional healers and a few other experts that help us in charting this way forward. And then we do have institutional collaboration. We're working with our sister department, the DH8, the South African Qualification Authority and the Quality Council on Trade and Occupation in ensuring that uh, this IKS-based professional designations become part of the national system. So we are in the process of working around that. Uh, and then we also do work with traditional, uh, the national provincial houses and uh, uh, the national and provincial houses of traditional leadership. So it is based in the structures that are recognized as custodians of this work. So going forward, we'll focus on the formalizing the agreements between DSI, SACWA, and QCTO, completing the pilots uh, uh, in the three provinces and the engaging, continuous engagement with various sectors of society for uh, the interfacing of these developed competencies. It is probably at this stage that uh, as we round up this work, I would like uh, Ms. Pango to talk about further work beyond traditional healing that we have commenced working on in the department. Just uh, maybe two, three minutes, Shumi. Um, thanks, Prof. Um, good morning again, uh, honorable members. Um, I think uh, Prof did indicate that we have identified 16 disciplines that fall within the scope of the recognition of prior learning. And I'm just going to mention a few 
And um, we have identified indigenous mining. We have identified indigenous architecture and technologies. We have identified indigenous astronomy. There's governance, there's uh, um, uh, education, there's um, astro- uh, uh, cosmology as well. But um, in trying to, to test the, the feasibility of this exercise, we have chosen three disciplines, namely the indigenous mining, the indigenous uh, astronomy and indigenous um, um, mining. In the last week of April, rather of, of February, we were in Bumalanga, a Petritif, where we conducted a workshop in indigenous mining. We did this in collaboration with our partner, University of Northwest, and they have students there that have uh, enrolled in our program in particular of indigenous knowledge, specializing in indigenous mining and metallurgy. You would have marveled, um, um, honorable members, on how these two systems interface, because we also had the conventional uh, um, um, mining experts who were able to say to us, in some instances, they would count on the communities for the communities to assist them in identifying where they would find the, the, the minerals that they are looking for. If it's gold, they know where exactly to, to, to locate that. And that was backed by the theory that we got from the students who are doing uh, indigenous mining and metallurgy with the University of Northwest. Um, regarding the indigenous architecture and uh, the relevant technologies, we, we, we came up with a concept of smart village. This is now responding to the socioeconomic challenges that we find in our rural areas. And this has a bearing on the collapse of the inner cities, where people from the rural areas will come to the inner city in search of jobs and opportunities. Now, we, we're trying to respond to that, to say, let us bring all the the, 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 the facilities in the communities through using indigenous architecture, putting culture in the center of that and using indigenous technologies. So we have partnered with Swana University of Technology. And I think I, w- I would uh, request the, the members to invite us one day to present specifically on the smart village. Um, on the 15th of, um, of March, we were invited by the provincial legislature in Eastern Cape where we presented the concept. We were invited specifically by, by the portfolio um, on, on, on economic development, which is chaired by Honorable Ndamase. So we presented the, the concept, they were so excited about it, and they promised that they are going to invite other committees as well so that they own this project and budget for it in trying to assist because it involves a lot of disciplines, your roads and transport, your water, your energy and agriculture, health, everybody has to be on board. On the 16th of the same month, we were presenting at OR Tambo Municipality and um, the, the mayor, they made an undertaking that uh, they want to include the smart village concept in their IDP strategy. And in response to that, immediately on Monday, the following week, we were invited to present between uh, before the REDP. 
on this so that we get the buy-in of all the, 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 the involved uh, um, departments and they see themselves on the smart village and how then they budget uh, for this. Um, this is now over and above the fact that we have identified Enyandeni as the pilot area where the smart village will be piloted and King Ndamase has endorsed and supported the, 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 the pilot in writing. Um, lastly, we, we have identified the indigenous astronomy. We, we, we had a feasibility or, or, or fact-finding mission uh, in November last year, and we identified an area in, in, in Bumalanga. This is where we were told that you are able to view the winter and, and summer solstice, and you are able to see the changes in the sun and the moon and all of that. But most importantly, there is a, 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 a history that says uh, one of the Hindu gods fell in, in Bumalanga and the footprint is still there. And the other footprint is in Mecca in Saudi Arabia. So we wanted to concentrate on that. And as such, we're having a, a conference in April. We're hosting a conference in April. We are doing this in partnership with Northwest University because Northwest University has produced one of our first PhDs in indigenous astronomy. So he has already built a, 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 a a pool of, of, of um, people from in, inside South Africa and in the region. So we want to work and explore what work can be done in, 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 in Pumalanga so that um, we, we, are, we are able to, at the end of the day, RPL, the champions uh, or the holders of the knowledge in these various disciplines. So all this is in response to the recognition of, of, of knowledge of, of the communities and how we can then interface these knowledge systems. And uh, also with our square kilometer array, we have a community in Northern Cape that has indicated uh, even before we were given the, the 60% uh, hosting of the square kilometer array that they are able to do what those uh, um, machines can do with their own naked eyes. And they've done this over the years and we want to RPL those in, in individuals and communities that have knowledge in indigenous um, astronomy. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. Thanks, Prof. Thank you very much. I will move on then to conclude. This is the last uh, part of the presentation. I will introduce the elements of regulatory elements, but I would like also Dr. Chabalala to just talk about the IKS bio-based innovation and the progress that uh, they have made. The point that the Director General referred to uh, around Professor Masabisa uh, appearing on TV. So this process, in terms of the legislation, members, the legislation has created a commercialization plus platform as a flexible platform. Its role within the SSDU is to regulate that the users of indigenous knowledge follow the regulations. So its role is not to develop and put products in the markets, but it is to encourage different sectors. As you've heard from Shumi, there will be mining, there will be arts and culture. And so 
under this commercialization platform, the role would be to encourage the coordination of these activities through one office uh, and also to, uh, as they relate to commercial utilization, bring in the licensing, bringing in the benefit sharing, and so that all these things uh, are there. So the intersection, the interface, is a regulatory aspect from the, the office. So this will afford the opportunity to any person who intends to use IKS for commercial purposes to apply in the manner prescribed in the regulations for a license authorizing the use of indigenous knowledge. So it will be no longer just people going ahead without having uh, a process that they followed. So it provides for procedures to enter into a license agreement with the trustee of relevant indigenous communities uh, of that IKS. So having introduced the regulatory element, I will then pass on to Dr. Shabalala to talk around the work that they're doing in IKS bioinnovation on the commercialization of indigenous knowledge. Uh, Dr. Shabalala. Thank you so much, uh, Prof. And good morning, uh, honorable members. Um, our work, it's, it's really based on the uh, Indigenous Knowledge Based by Innovation Program that the DSI has established since 2007. The program has uh, uh, six platforms. Uh, one is on African medicines, then cosmeceuticals, nutraceuticals, health infusions. These four are innovation intensive but they are supported by the technology transfer and demonstration platform and also the enterprise development and commercialization platforms. I should then start here by saying that we, <clears throat> of course, the DSI's uh, mandate is not necessarily commercialization. So we have actually handed over the commercialization platform uh, to the Biopanza uh, initiative to be headed by the Department of uh, uh, Trade uh, uh, industry and uh, competitions, including the uh, Department of Small Business uh, uh, Development. However, we chaired the innovation cluster of the of the Biopanza, and we launched this uh, last year in November. Now, uh, to support the work of the program, we actually established two uh, funding models. One uh, is headed by uh, the Technology Innovation Agency, which then focuses more on the innovation work or innovation value chains. And then there is a new unit at the in, in Industrial Development uh, uh, Corporation. Uh, the, the unit there is called the Natural, the Natural Indigenous Products uh, Program, which then looks into um, uh, enterprise development and commercialization. Uh, this this work needs some of the regulations that we don't have in South Africa. So we have actually initiated um, some work with, with SAPRA where we are developing some frameworks specifically for African medicines, but also the cosmeceuticals and nutraceuticals are also medicines related, although they are more on food 
and cosmetics, they also need to be registered through SAPRA. So, so there is a team which will be handing over the report in the next two weeks to the department. But part of the, re- the, the recommendations is that as from this year, we need to then draw the regulations for, the, for African medicines in particular, for these medicines to be part of the uh, essential medicines list of South Africa. This means that um, after these regulations or this act and its regulations, our African medicines can be part of the essential drug list, meaning that if one goes to a hospital or clinic, they can choose whether they want to use uh, allopathic medicines or African medicines that would have gone through rigorous research. And of course, to support this work now, we have a, a, a tier, tier uh, status platform at the University of the Free State, uh, which uh uh, is putting together a current uh, good manufacturing platform, but as a demonstration, as a pilot facility, the upscaling aspect of this work uh, will be done together with the DTIC and Department of Small Business uh, uh, Development. Uh, next slide. And of course, um, <clears throat> the idea is that we, we need to have world-class, high-level, high-end um, uh, medicinal technology. So so, so, so for the first time in South Africa, uh, SAPRA has actually approved um, uh, a multi-herbal formula uh, for, 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 for clinical trials on COVID. And we also submitted uh, the second, another uh, multi-herbal formula, also works for COVID, but also for HIV. We have secured funding for these two uh, uh, multi-herbal formulations. We're only waiting for one um, more uh, appro- approval by SAPRA, and we hope in the next few weeks we should be able to get some, some report back. Um, I think members would like to, to, to know that as South Africa, we are the current chairs of the World Health Organization, the African Regional Office. Uh, this is the expert regional committee on African medicines and infectious diseases. So we are also providing some leadership in the, in the continent and both the, 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 the WHO and the African Union have expressed the desire to, to give some of our institutions what they call the center of excellence status. So we are in the process of actually doing that work uh, with, the, with the World Health Organization. We just are about to graduate up to 40 small medium enterprises that go every every year we, we train up to between 40 and 50 small medium enterprises in an intensive six months um, uh, entrepreneurship uh, uh, course, which is run by the Innovation Hub. These are the various small medium enterprises and cooperatives that are part of our IK-based bioinnovation uh, program. So these people are owners of, uh, of companies uh, in rural areas, and they have products that have gone through research. They've got pieces of land and they have the market. So the idea is then to, to equip them with skills to be proper businessmen and women. Um, we have um, recently secured some funding to actually uh, build another um, uh, pre-processing CGMP, uh, but more on product development facility uh, at the UKZN and also in collaboration 
with the uh, Etequini uh, and KwaZulu-Natal uh, uh, government. Uh, and also this will then support what we have at the Free State. And we hope to have these types of facilities uh, throughout the country. They're supposed to be regional facilities. And also we secured funding to then also resuscitate uh, some of the uh, facilities at the CSIR. And this will focus strictly for for medical cannabis uh, uh, production. So, So this is part of the presidential um, um, uh, cannabis master plan, which is headed by the Department of um, Agriculture, um, Rural Development and Land and 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 and, and land development. I think this is uh, it from our side. Um, I don't know if there's any other slide, but the idea is that the 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 upscaling of all the uh, demonstrations that we have done so far should should then be handed over to the DTIC and small business development so that they upscale this um, these endeavors that we actually started uh, uh, in the past five years or so. Thank you so much, Prof. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, I, I, I have come to the end of the presentation, but I want to make probably a couple of observations. But what we have looked at is what the Act intends to achieve. Am, am I still audible, Chair? We can hear you, Prof. No, thank you very much. So this is, in all aspects, we are not going to begin activities to implement. There are activities that are already in place. Whether it's the regulatory uh, instruments that are to be used, we are done with those instruments. Whether it's the IKS registration, we are launching that today. If it's the recognition of prior learning, we, we are already piloting. Uh, and when we come to commercialization, you've heard in terms of the progress that has been made. So our readiness is quite advanced in terms of where we intend to be. However, I must indicate that these are activities that are based on our history. We now have the decadal plan and we are aligning the IKS activities with the decadal plan so that the aspirations and principles and philosophy of the decadal plan will also be uh, translated into the work on IKS. So beginning this week with the first presentation we have drafted a new way of aligning the IKS with the decadal plan. Uh, and we are hopeful that this will give us the future plans of where we need to take IKS in the country. So a, an example would be all those areas of recognition of prior learning, the 16 areas in that plan. How do we begin to bring them to Tivet colleges? And how do we persuade CETA to be involved in translating this work into national programs which would benefit the society? So that's the direction that we want to move so that the impact that the uh, white paper seeks in terms of science and innovation can be translated into different instruments within the country. So I just wanted to uh, signal 
the direction in which we think that we'll be taking the future of IKS from this perspective. I want to thank you uh, for giving us a bit more time so that you can get uh, the perspective of what activities have been done. Thank you, Chair, for, for allowing us this time. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Seleti. Prof. Seleti, apologies. Um, for, for the presentation you have made together with colleagues. Um, perhaps let me go straight into noting hands from members who'd like to engage. And as I note, those hands also indicate that um, we really, you know, the committee has over time stressed um, the importance for, for um, the department to continue its awareness its work around uh, science engagement and, and raising public awareness. And so um, right at the beginning of the presentation, I, the department indicates the type of work it's done around that, and we must acknowledge that um, and continue to implore the department to be as inclusive as possible in doing the work that it's doing here and to go really go to the ends of our country in trying to ensure that um, we continue to promote and protect um, various indigenous, indigenous knowledge systems. Um, I'd like to also indicate that um, perhaps it will be important that we you know, embark on an oversight visit to one of your, your centers. Um, and then also we had indicated in the previous, in previous meetings that we ought to have a colloquium around um, in the Indigenous Knowledge Systems Act and or the IK Act um, and its implementation. And um, perhaps we need to try and align that kind of work with, um, you know, when the regulations would be brought, the draft regulations would be brought before the committee. Um, and then I've been trying to understand um, the, the NIXO portal I've been trying to understand how to access it because I think what I, my understanding is that it should be up and running from the 25th of March, which is today. So I, I'm not sure how, because I just Googled it now to see if um, I can have access to it. So perhaps we can use this moment here to try and, um, you know, get members to understand how to, to access the portal so that we can be advocates um, of, of the work of the DSI in relation to this. Um, I note the hand of Honorable King, Honorable Mananiso, Honorable Makesi. Honorable King. Um, good morning, Chair. Um, so Chair, for me, this is really a good moment. Um, seeing how far that they've come with the IKS bill, uh, because when it was first initiated into an actual bill, I actually formed part of the committee during that time. So it's really um, good to see how far the DSI has gone in really conceptualizing this whole process and, uh, and must acknowledge them uh, for the progress that they've made so far. Um, what I just wanted to find out, I know some time ago there was an issue of overlapping or the duplication um, of some registrations when it comes to the EPLA bill and the IKS Act. Um, I just want to find out if that was addressed um, in the long run uh, to ensure that they, we don't encounter any of those duplications taking place. Um, also, um, 
is both SACWA and QC's QCTO going to be responsible for the authorization of certification for recognition of prior learning and for the various avenues that Indigenous knowledge will be going into. Um, also, um, when you just mentioned yesterday, I also went on the portal to make sure that I can access um, the NICMAS uh, portal just to see how it operates. And actually, I couldn't find a way how to access that. If we can get clarity, and today you will be launching the Indigenous Knowledge Registration System, um, which was developed in conjunction with the CSIR. Congratulations on that, but is that going to filter into the NICMAS um, application or is it the replacement for the NICMAS portal um, for them to register the Indigenous knowledge on there? Um, also, the last thing is, if you look at UKZN, you are talking about for the cannabis production with CSIR, have there been any consideration given to incorporate the Eastern Cape um, University of Fort Hare into this program, considering the capacity of cannabis production in the Eastern Cape? And why if we, was the consideration as a pilot project only given on the three provinces, uh, considering when this IKS bill at the time once that we had a lot of input um, from the various Khoi and the sand communities, um, I would have considered that maybe the Western or the Northern Cape would have been one of the first pilot projects um, for the this IKS, IKS Act um, incorporation into the whole system. Um, but other than that, I'm very much excited to see what this is going to hold. And also that it was mentioned that it was more going to be geared towards TVET colleges, which is what we desperately need, instead of focus on the university sector solely. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable King. Honorable Malaniso. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, let me start by as well welcoming the presentation. And one must agree that every time when we meet with the department, uh, we are always, you know, taking in terms of the way forward and uh, the progress that the department is making. However, one would want to indicate that on the part of oversight, I've been covered by yourself that indeed we need to conduct an oversight so that we are able to check the realities there. Uh, Chair, my question is with regards to public education. I just want to check when this public education was uh, being uh, conducted in those specific areas, did we have uh, interpreters on the ground that could interpret actually this IKS concept to our people? And uh, I want to as well acknowledge the fact that uh, the department actually used the internal capacity when they were dealing with issues of regulations. And it is recommendable on the basis that at times our department, more especially public departments, they like uh, using consultants, you know, uh, actually using the money that we don't have. So it is recommendable that uh, DSI, they have actually used their own human capital to actually do other things that were going to be costly for the department. So we need to upload them. And we hope that many departments will learn from them. 
uh, chairperson on slide 28, the IK holders and claims demographic uh, 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 claims for, 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 for this particular slide. I just want to check if possible, they, uh, they should submit to us the demographics of those particular beneficiaries because we, we must not leave anyone behind. And as a portfolio committee, we are so consistent about the transformation in terms of uh, that particular issue of, of, of gender agenda. So I just want to say to them, um, they need to actually uh, give us a submission in written that uh, indicates the demographics of those beneficiaries. And I'm happy and covered by Honorable uh, King with regards to uh, the issue of RPL on slide 30. If other entities are part, like your SACWA, in terms of ensuring that, you know, everything that we do there, it's it's credible. Uh, and on the issue of um, the pilot of these three uh, 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 provinces, I'm happy that we have been given the background on how were they chosen. However, uh, Prof, I just want to uh, urge you to come in Gauteng and conduct this particular pilot because you would know in Gauteng you would get everybody. So whatever that you could have collected in other three provinces, they might, it might not be you know, so sufficient. So I just want to urge you that uh, you, you need to come down to, to Houting and conduct this particular pilot. Chairperson, uh, 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 I want to check as well with the department in terms of um, the how does IKS find expression into our uh, district model? Uh, I, I just want to check that because I, I, I think that at times, and as they were presenting, they would speak about provinces, but how does that filter down in terms of our district models? And uh, lastly, uh, Chair, it's on slide 38. On uh, 40 IKS, IKS holders, SMEs, can the department uh, actually give us the written submission with regards to the demographics uh, as well in terms of these SMMEs and as well, where are they located? Uh, thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Mananiso. Honorable Makesi, followed by Honorable Boshoff, then Honorable Mashaks. Uh, thank you, Chair, and good morning to everyone. Uh, I just want to thank the department for the presentation. It was really worth uh, listening and also, you know, thank you for the opportunity that you can actually engage with them. Um, I just want to congratulate, first of all, the University of the Free State on the lab that they've opened. Uh, I wish them the best uh, on their venture on clinical trials. Um, being my my university and, uh, you know, very close where I live, where, where very close where I live, and I hope I'll be able to go and, and visit um, the, the 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 laboratories just to to see what the work that they are doing, and uh, and I hope that uh, you know my professor, my former professor, who was very much vocal about um, traditional medicine, that uh, he did um, uh, take part in it. Um, he passed away uh, last year uh, of COVID, uh, Professor Walubu. I know that he was one of the advocates of traditional medicine in the Free State of University, and uh, I hope we had uh, some input on that um, as well. Um, with regard to um, 
the regulations. I just want to find out, you know, because normally regulations sometimes can be deterrents uh, when it comes to, you know, people like, you know, coming forth and, um, you know, registering themselves to be either, you know, traditional healers, that they find that, you know, sometimes the regulations can be quite stringent in a sense that, you know, it becomes a, a deterrent and they become discouraged. How have you made sure that, you know, they won't, they won't be a deterrent uh, for them? Because uh, regulations usually, in the first place, they are done in a way that is very much um, a European type of style and knowing that, you know, that our people don't have that kind of level of education. How has uh, the department made sure that, you know, that the, the regulations are actually accessible and uh, they are easy for, for people to follow and uh, they won't form uh, some kind of a deterrent? Um, I'm glad that uh, the Khoisan, you know, were part of, uh, of you know, they are basically part of, uh, of, of, of this venture of uh, IKS. Um, but what uh, is very concerning to me is that you only were able to talk to uh, three communities in the Northern Cape. Uh, do you believe that, um, do you think that, you know, you, you, those uh, communities are really the, the actual uh, representative, representation? Not that, you know, I think that they are not, but in terms of um, the specificity of, uh, of Northern Cape and also how how the you know Khoisan people are very much involved in, uh, in indigenous knowledge. Um, I just want to find out if you think that like you know that was sufficient, or even if it's uh, something that uh, at some stage that maybe you might have a way to 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 have more communities to become involved uh, in this in the studies that you did. Um, also, I would like to find out uh, the budget uh, the budget uh, limitations. I just want to find out, like, you know, because I know that budgets are always an issue in terms of, um, you know, accessing and also, you know, expanding, um, you know, uh, like the, 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 any, any project uh, for that matter. How has that impacted you? And if you think that, um, uh, how far do you think if you had a budget, if you didn't have a budget limitation, how far you'd go? And I also would like to appreciate the fact that you also mentioned that, um, you know, you're trying to get a, a type of setup whereby, you know, if I go to a hospital, I can actually decide if I want to, to go and see your, your, your normal Western kind of, uh, do your normal Western consultation. And at the same time to also uh, decide, okay, fine, I'm, I'm going to need to go and find a traditional healer. Uh, in the hospital to, you know, to also assist me. I think that is a, actually a very good idea because, you know, the reason why people are kind of like fine traditional uh, healers uh, to be a bit mecky is because of uh, the fact that, you know, they are not regulated, first of all. And also, you know, people just don't know because nothing is, everything seems to be kind of haphazard. Also, it depends on who you go to and what they specialize on. So it's, um, it's something that I think people need to have more clarity on that. And I think I'm glad that uh, you've been able to kind of consider that in the future, that uh, that's what you are going to be looking at. And um, the, the other thing that I, th I just want to go back to what the lab, the lab that, uh, that we have in the, that, that, that um, the department has come up with at the University of Free State. Um, we had something like that uh, previously, not, not something similar, but we had uh, clinical trials uh, that we have been conducted. And 
uh, the lab was taken over by a, a like some kind of it was a, a venture that came in like from the US and it took over that and it was then called Parexel or it was Farmoffs, then it was Parexel and all that. I just want to find out with regard to this um this laboratory, uh how much have you ensured that like you know we protect that um because I don't think the university was able to really uh gain out of that venture as 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 they should have. Uh, from the farmers venture and eventually moving to Parixal. So, but how how is uh, uh, ETA uh, ensuring that um, uh, it, it it protects uh, any uh, venture capital deals that can come out of that to ensure that like you know, the university does benefit and also the department doesn't lose uh, capital from that venture that it is done in a way that um, it can benefits all uh, stakeholders that are involved. Thank you so much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Marquesi. Honorable Boshoff. Honorable Boshoff, I see your mic is open, but we can't hear, you know, there's no sound coming through on our side. Perhaps you could consider logging out and logging back in. Then I'll take Honorable Mashati um, in the meantime. All right, Honorable Thank Mashati. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Okay, am I audible, Chair? Yes, ma'am, you are. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much, Chairperson, and good morning to colleagues and um, the department and all stakeholders who are on the platform. Um, Chair, Mine is, um, my sincere apologies, I'm still in Cape Town and uh, connectivity is quite bad here. Um, my, I've got only two questions in relation to the presentation, but maybe it is important also to welcome this particular presentation, given the information that it gives us. It's quite a progressive, um, um, quite exciting presentation, given the fact that issues relating to indigenous knowledge have been on, you know, in 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 you know on our tongues for quite some time, and to see the progress that has been made is quite exciting. Uh, Chair, I've got only two questions in relation to the presentation. One, it will be around the participation in as far as the consultation processes is concerned, and I'm taking into cognizance information that has been provided to us on slide five, six, and eight. I just want to find out from the department. What has been the, you know, the reception of our communities in relations to the consultation processes? Um, were there in additional information that the department received, uh, which might not necessarily have been in 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 the documentation and information that has been provided to them? And if there was any, had it been also incorporated into um, what we currently have? Number two, it will also be around the numbers in as far as public participation or consultation processes have um, that have taken place. Did we have overwhelming support uh, from our communities in relation to this particular pro process? 
Number two, Chair, is around commercialization processes. I want to find out from the department, um, given where we are in as far as advancement are concerned or progress is concerned, how will the department um, protect, you know, this indigenous knowledge to a point whereby um, our people do not lose out um, in, in as far as the end product is concerned, that uh, your, your big manufacturers do not become the, the highest benefactors in as far as the process is concerned. I think this thing, being mindful of what has been said about the cannabis being led by the Department of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development, that um, cannabis has been part of the African culture. But with the advancement that we are making, there is a, a, you know, a, a possibility of commercialization of the cannabis. Um, benefiting the big industries. Moreover, our small, medium enterprises, you know, the, 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 our people on the ground, how, to, how does the commercialization of indigenous language get protected in not subjected of capital? to a point whereby big manufacturers are the ones who are going to become big, um, are going to be the, the actual, bene- um, actual ones who are going to benefit more than our people. And Che, the last one is on the University of the Fis- I think we ought to, to you know, really appreciate uh, the work that the, um, the University of the Fis- that is quite is doing. I would also want to join Honorable Machese in her visit to, to that particular university because we are both from Bloomington, that is home, and really see how, how, how are they progressing in as far as their trials are concerned and hoping that this will lead to a quite a, pros, a progressive uh, output that will benefit our people. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Machese. Could I check if Honorable Boshoff is back on the platform? Okay, I don't see him. So I guess we'll have to move on. Hopefully, um, I'll try and go back to him at a later stage. All right. Um, I believe DG has stepped out as he had indicated. Therefore, we'll go back to Prof Saleti. Um, Prof Saleti uh, and your team, those are the questions, comments, and remarks and recommendations from members. Um, I think we'll now afford you some time to respond to those. Chair, yeah, thank you very much for the questions. Uh, they definitely bring out the key focus areas, but they also provide us with a guide as to what needs to be done going forward. My intention is to probably ask Ms. Caravan Vek to pick up all the questions around the IKS portal, um, which were raised uh, in terms of from the chair, 
in terms of the accessing of, of that. And uh, it was also repeated by Honorable King uh, around that area. So I would want to ask uh, Ms. Carroll to do that. And then there are questions around the public awareness um, in, in terms of uh, just uh, the uh, processes of consultations and also the response from the participants to those activities. Uh, I think I would like to ask uh, Ms. Pango to handle those issues. And then there are quite a number of questions about the labs and the role of the free state, a desire to visit the space, but also the uh, beneficiaries uh, around slide 48 on the IKS demographics of those beneficiaries um, in terms of going forward. I, I think I would want to leave that to Dr. Chabalala to tackle. So, which means that probably I'll pick up the questions uh, around the recognition of prior learning um, and providing some explanations why the pilot probably has focused on three and why not the Northern Cape. Um, just, uh, I think Prof. Uh, Dr. Shabarala will also take up all the questions on cannabis around that. So I'll focus on two areas, the recognition of prior learning and also the process of the licensing. Uh, if uh, uh, Mr. Tom Sukanandan had been in the meeting, but I think he's on leave, um, I could have asked him to tackle those uh, questions uh, in terms of the licensing uh, and the process going forward. So let me begin with the recognition of prior learning. SACWA's involvement was from the beginning. So they've worked with us to conceptualize this work, how it can translate to the national qualification framework. The setting of the norms and standards uh, have used the 10 level national qualification framework uh, in terms of that. So the bridging of the IKS norms and the uh, national qualification framework norms has already been done. What is used is actually from the framework. So to that extent, what we are working on now with SACWA and QCTO is to streamline this process and uh, they should consider delegating the assessment of traditional knowledge holders to NICSO because that's where the skills are, that's where the work would be. And in NICSO, there will be disciplines of competence, what you call communities of practice. So those will be the ones that will then handle the assessment and all that. Uh, and then NICSO as an institution will then involve in the certification on that. But that needs to be delegated by SACWA and the QCTO. So the work that is continuing is around that process in, in that direction. So uh, probably it's uh, critical that we pick that up and we move with it uh, going forward. Then there is the issue around uh, uh, stew on the recognition of prior learning. 
uh, around the, how these areas were chosen. We actually did um, work in Northern Cape. We went and started the activities on the setting up of the norms and, and that. But the task was uh, complicated in terms of the uh, uh, many communities uh, that are involved and the different probably uh, worldviews around the traditional health practicing activities. So the plan was that it would, uh, we would need to go back and do a more thorough study of that work. So it is on the plans to go back, but the difficulty was just the challenges of translating that into norms and the standards under the national qualification framework. So we need a deep understanding of that cosmology that is based in the... The Mpumalanga, we had also attempted and done workshops in Mpumalanga, but the outputs that were coming through were not uh, giving us um, sufficient information for us to be able to conclude around that. So the Eastern Cape, we definitely have already begun to integrate them in our work going forward, in the work around uh, the rites of passage for young men. We know that the Eastern Cape is where the number of deaths has been higher than in any other province. So we have already brought them in, in the discussions around the norms and standards for the rites of passages for young men. So we, we have taken that into consideration and we're working on, 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 on that. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy that we pleased uh, uh, Honorable King around the future direction of the work in terms of where we're going to. So the, the Honorable Mananiso raised the issue of credibility of uh, the recognition of prior learning. Because we already are using the SAQWA qualification framework, uh, the National Qualification Framework, we have lifted the work of uh, indigenous knowledge and mainstreamed it. But taking into consideration the peculiarities, the uniqueness of indigenous knowledge around that. You did ask that uh, probably why haven't we uh, brought it to uh, housing at the methodology of the urban areas uh, and the mixture of the different things, we thought that first of all, we need to create, apart from focusing on the urban areas, we need to create first, what are the indigenous knowledge-based communities, say are the norms and standards? And having established a base, we will then move into the main cities and especially Houteng, because we do have a basis on which to engage with the so many uh, communities that are based in Gauteng. So we are still coming through. We are close to having the norm we, of using that as a template for going through that work. We also believe that the recognition of prior learning might be 
uh, one of the areas that would fit into the district model. Uh, the pilot is being done on the basis of a district. So we, we hope that uh, working with the provincial governments, since this is a section 76 uh, uh, constitution uh, act, we'll be able to mobilize the, the provinces to be co-owners of this work and translate this into the districts. So the, I think that's the uh, range of questions that have been asked on the recognition of prior learning. Um, uh, and then on the question of uh, IP management and the benefits to communities, this is why this legislation was passed. It is uh, indeed to create a system where the exploitation of knowledge holders and communities comes to an end. So this is the intervention that uh, we have done that. In terms of uh, these uh, activity not being a deterrent, we've been working with the, the World Intellectual Property Organization, both uh, Ms. Pango and Mr. Tom Sukanandan and myself have been working around this work and probably in recognition of that work, have been elected a deputy chair of the uh, IGC, the Intergovernmental Committee, as a way of pushing our work forward. Uh, so we have learned a lot from that process. We have tried to make this process seamless by making all the tools that will be required to be digital, but also to make sure that the knowledge about where the communities are located, where we can find them is also through a touch of a button. We can search and find out where they are so that if they have to enter benefit sharing agreements or a transfer of material agreement, but the people are there. This is not a deterrent uh, to the system. This has been the arguments that the United States and the European Union have been using to try and prevent the achievement of the protection of indigenous knowledge at the WIPO. So we have taken those discussions and made sure that our system answers them before we, we get into that. So I think that I will stop there in terms of the uh, general questions uh, around that. On the exploitation or the beneficiation of these activities, not reaching out to the communities, we trust that this system will work with Dr. Shabalala, will work with any other person, maybe even in mining, to ensure that we regulate that process. So the last question I would attend to, we would appeal to you as a portfolio committee, indeed, to speak to our national treasury. This act cannot be implemented without additional resources. I know that these are a time of austerity measures, but this act cannot achieve its goals without additional resources to make it a fully regulatory system. Two, it cannot work without additional resources to make it a sector by itself. As you can see, the promises are a lot. If I were to take an example of the recognition of prior learning and look at the birth attendance, that service that they provide from pre-pregnancy to the pregnancy and post-pregnancy, that required uh, can provide a lot of services 
and new sectors of activities from the uh, availities. So we think that the recognition of prior learning has the potential to translate into meaningful economic activities in as much as the IKS bio-based innovations will do through the opening up of these activities. But to do this, we really need new resources uh, to be able to carry out um, clinical research. It is costly uh, and all these would require new financing. At the moment, we ask definitely we will face this as an impediment in the implementation of the act should there be no resources. It's a huge risk. I thank you. I want to then hand over to Carol uh, to look at the question of uh, the portal access and what is it? Uh, probably you can uh, provide us with that explanation. Carol Van Vick. Thank you, Prof. Saleti. Um, good morning, honorable members. Um, it's Carol. Um, in terms of the question of the Nixo portal, um, it is basically the landing page or the entry page through which a user will be able to get access to um, Nikmas or the pharmacopoeia system. Um, so that portal will make information available of um, what um, holdings um, a user might see um, in the Nikma system, as well as any information that um, is IK related that will be posted on the portal. So the portal is basically just an entry to those systems, and it basically creates the face of Nixo in terms of the IK Act. Um, honorable members were requesting that um, they were searching for the system and could not find the system. There's basically a reason why um, we've done that. Noting that um, the system will be launched by the DG this afternoon. The DG will then switch on the system um, for, 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 for users or the public to see. Now, the pharmacopoeia system, um, what we've created there is a um, subscription where users subscribe to the system. It's currently not collecting any. Um, we're waiting for the Nixo office as per the IK Act to be established to enable that. So um, users would be able to register themselves and the system would um, create um, usernames for them and they will have to indicate the um, time period for which they would want access. So um, um, honorable members, um, we would be able to send you the URL for the Nixo portal for you to um, browse and to see how you engage with the system. Um, and at this, at this moment on the NIGMA system, what will be made available is promotional information of communities where um, communities, um, those who were willing to promote themselves, um, you'd access information to that. So the promotional aspect of the system is an ongoing um, 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 process um, with communities as well as training them into how they need to promote themselves on the system. Um, so I think I'll stop there, but um, we, are, we will be glad to share the URL of the Nixo portal to members today so that you'd be able to engage with the system. Thank you, Prof. Thank you, Honorable Members. Over to you, Prof. Okay, Prof. Sileti, um, we thought you would make your concluding remarks, but I see Honorable Borshoff is back on the platform. 
know what Boshoff would be any. Well, he was, but I think he's gone. Honorable Boshoff, are you on the platform? No, okay, I don't seem to see him again, but he did try to come back. I suspect he's having um, continued uh, um, uh, challenges with his device. I see Chlupe Kek, okay, AC. Um, Chlupe? Um, it's, yes, it's Chlupe as Dr. Shabalala. I was also requested to respond on several of the questions that were made uh, around, you know, cannabis and commercialization. You Uh, may go ahead. Thank thank you so much. Um, The first question was, um, the Honourable wanted to find out if we're working with the University of Fort Hare. Currently, we are not uh, in terms of cannabis. The, the work of the cannabis, medical cannabis, is part of the African Medicines Platform, which uh, the initial work was, of course, done uh, by the University of Free State, the CSIR, uh, ARC, and University of Pretoria. Uh, this is in terms of um, uh, the research and discovery phase of the work that we do. Uh, We are now at product development. So the CSIR is the one that is heading that work uh, because now the idea is to then start uh, uh, manufacturing various products together with the various SMMEs that will be will be part of the of the of the of the cannabis uh, consortia uh, from our side, at least. Uh, Of course, the 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 Fort Hare University uh, has been part of the nutraceuticals platform. So we looked into various indigenous uh, vegetables um, uh, and their role in nutrition and food food security. Uh, in terms of cannabis, of course, the other challenge is funding. We, we cannot afford to fund a, a huge team. It has to be a smaller team, which is dedicated uh, and according to their capacity and expertise as well. Um, yes, indeed, uh, Professor Walubo was actually the head of pharmacology where our indigenous uh, knowledge systems health research uh, unit uh, is, is actually situated at the, at the, at the uh, UFS. He was a great leader indeed, and he was a champion of our work within the university. I will, in terms of us, then maybe write up uh, submitting a written, written report on the on the uh, uh, the IK based by innovation work. I'll I'll propose that we just give you an overall work on the on the entire program, uh, including the various platforms, the various projects that we have across the provinces. Then uh, end up with the various small medium enterprises and cooperatives, or even individual. IKS holders that are part of these programs, and we'll we'll break that down in terms of the men, women, uh, uh, youth, and people people with disability as well. Um, On the question of uh, choosing uh, what health system one is supposed to use, of course, we're not there yet, um, and, and maybe that part of work is not really our mandate. What we what we what I may need to clarify is that what we're working on is that in South Africa, as long as medicine is registered with the with the essential drug, drug list or medicines list at SAPRA, any health uh, 
uh, provider may actually use that medicine, regardless of whether it's biomedical or allopathic or Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine from India or Unani from Iran. Uh, that's what we're focusing on at the moment. Uh, but I need to maybe mention that the EXCO just approved um, uh, a concept for us to really further develop a concept of an IK-based bioinnovation institute, which will, of course, prioritize African medicines. The idea of the institute, therefore, is to, is to look into the, the, the industrial aspects of the work that we're doing, not, not the academic work, because that is sorted out. And in, in, in addition to the industrial work, the Institute will also seek to look into curriculum development. What does it mean? Uh, the idea is to, is to look into what China, India, Japan, Korea have done. So we'd like to develop curriculum for clinicians who can use African medicines uh, 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 as part of the practice. That's one of the, 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 the pillars of the Institute. And then linked to the, 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 the development of curriculum will, of course, with time, the, the establishment of universities that can teach African medicines, not Ubunyanga, but African medicine as a discipline. And of course, this will also require hospitals and clinics and health centers in the future. And, and this we have seen in India and, and Korea and you know, China, as I said. Um, <clears throat> Paraxel, yes, Paraxel, Paraxel has left the, the free state and the free state uh, have actually taken over that, that facility. It is now famous. And uh, the clinical trials that uh, Dr. Silet was talking about, or what you saw on media, will be actually connect, uh, conducted uh, inside Paraxel and other clinical trial facilities um, uh, across, across the country. Uh, we, we, we were also informed this week that the African Health Research Institute at UKZN also launched its clinical trials uh, facility. And one of our, uh, the leader, actually the hub of the African medicines uh, uh, is Professor Nebagaleni from UKZN. He's actually part of the faculty, faculty of the African uh, Research Institute. So we hope to also collaborate with the Institute to set up an African medicines um, aspect of clinical trials there. The Medical Research Council is also back. We're funding them through the TIA to build uh, a preclinical uh, facility dedicated to, to African medicines. And of course, they are the ones that are responsible for most of the designs of our clinical trials um, uh, our protocols as well. Um, Budget-wise, I think Prof has, uh, has mentioned that the challenge, the challenge with us in, in innovation is that because our budget is very low, sometimes we do work and then we stop and then get funded maybe a year later or two years later. So, so this, this, this actually slows down the work that we, we do. So if we could have sufficient funding, we'll be able to move faster from innovation to commercialization and beneficiation. The protection aspect, uh, Prof also spoke about that, but in terms of the 50 plus SMMEs and uh, IK, IKS holders that we support, um, they are actually the owners 
of the companies that we spin out out of this work. Um, wherever there are patents, they are also co-owners of the patents together with the students that may have done the research and, and some of the scientists that are doing the research. So the ownership uh, a model is, is, is actually sorted out, but they are the 100% owners of all the companies that commercialize the work uh, or the products that we would have uh, come, up, come up with. In terms of licensing, the models are different and um, uh, the, the advocacy and policy unit uh, uh, of the department advises us in terms of how to draw those, those agreements. Uh, and the and and the shares wherever the, the the may be a company that needs the ingredients that we're working with like that. Um, maybe the last aspect, the last, the final aspect on cannabis um, and beneficiation, especially of the of the village growers that have been doing this work for 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 hundreds of years. In the master plan, um, the, the, one of the pillars is led by the Department of Small Business. And they've designed, I think it's approved now, they've designed a strategy and they put aside funding which will strictly support the, 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 the village um, or small medium enterprises, uh, Black-owned small medium enterprises, especially the ones that are found in the, in the rural areas. Uh, so that they, they should be able to compete. The idea is to link all those that will be participating with our work so that their products from the plants themselves in the, you know, in terms of the growing uh, to pre-processing to processing and, and finally in terms of the final products or even the, the, the ingredients, that all these things are supposed to be according to certain standards and they will be then be registered uh, at SAPRA or at, um, at at the Department of Agriculture to be part of the of the of the various value chains uh, that we're building uh, across you know across the provinces. Uh, finally, the the lab um, the the lab at the Free State the the Free State just received funding both from the department and TIA. And they have given us a new building where Paraxel was, um, uh, uh, Honorable Kumalo. So we are now uh, uh, constructing the new uh, GMP facility, but there is the lab is there, but we are upgrading into a GMP facility. And of course, uh, Paraxel, as I said, is famous, which will then be linked to the GMP facility. And of course, the, the current lab that is there. And we are happy then to uh, to facilitate with the Free State University that the honorables uh, visit and see what kind of work uh, we're doing uh, there, including other other facilities like the ARC or the CSIR. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much, um, uh, Mr. Shavalala. I see um, Shimi's hand is up. We'd like to proceed. Thanks, Chair. Um, can I ask Shumi to speak to the question by Honorable King on the IP from the DTIC, the Act, and how we will work together around that? Um, thanks, thanks, Prof. Thanks, Chair. Uh, I'm back again, Honorable Members, just to respond firstly. To, to the work that uh, SIPS and ourselves 
the DSI are doing. Um, honorable members will remember that within SIPS, there was a unit that was responsible for IKS, and part of their work was to document uh, indigenous knowledge in the communities. So after we, we presented the, the bill to parliament and consultations were, were done, it was clear that there is some kind of um, overlaps in the work that we were doing as the two different uh, departments. And at some point, we, we, we were requested by, by honorable members to find each other and see how best we, we manage the overlaps. So an agreement was reached between the two departments and SIPs since then um, discontinu- discontinued with, with the unit and gave over the responsibility of, of documenting indigenous knowledge and every IK-related work to, to, to Nixo. So the arrangement is this, that the, the information or a data that they had collected over years, they will then hand over to to, to Nixo. But it will also go through the rigorous uh, process whereby the curator will look at the, the, the information or the data and see if it fits the eligibility criteria as prescribed by the IK Act. If there is uh, knowledge that, that um, is there, and the, the communities are clearly identified, then it will be registered. Um, if it, it doesn't fit the eligibility criteria, the IKS documentation centers in the province will host that knowledge. And I want to explain further how this registration will, will happen from the IKS documentation centers to the registration system. The, uh, the IK Act proposes that the, the communities um, nominate trustees who will then be the representatives of the communities. This is based on the fact that the knowledge that will be in the registration system is IKS. And IKS by definition is knowledge that is communally owned. In other words, when you do the, the oversight in the, in the IKS uh, documentation centers, the knowledge that you will get there is knowledge that is communally owned. And in the Act, we have defined what communities are. There are two levels to the community. The first level is the community of people that are geographically located in a particular space, and they share the same knowledge and practices. So they will have that knowledge, and that knowledge must have been passed from generation to generation. And that knowledge must be identified with a social identity and cultural identity identity of the community. So that is the first layer of a community. The second layer of the community is a family. In other instances, there is knowledge that is owned by the family. So it, it, it has been passed from generation to generation within that family. And that family constitute then a community. So you will get two types of knowledge in the IKSDC, the one that is generally known by the public in that location, and the one that is known by the family. So the trustee then will represent the community 
depending how the community is defined in so far as that knowledge is concerned. So the community will, will, will nominate a trustee, but the trustee will be uh, administered under the, the Trustees Act, which then will take over the, the, the whole process of looking at how the, 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 the trustee is, is, is managed. So the trustee will then apply to the curator who will then do the same as I indicated with the data that is, is with SIPs and look at the eligibility criteria. Now, this is the arrangement we, 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 we've made with, with SIPs so that there is no overlap and they will only concentrate on those areas that are in the IPLA, like your traditional works and, 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 and stuff like that. Um, the, the other question that came up was the, the language that we use when we do the public awareness. Indeed, we, we, we were instructed by, by the portfolio committee to make sure that we, we go to the deep rural of, of the country and we present the act in the language of the area. So in response to that, we have trained facilitators that some of them come from those communities, depending on whether they are, they are, they are trainable. I'm, I'm saying trainable because um, at face value, when one uh, um, looks at indigenous knowledge, it is just a subject that anyone can tackle. But uh, the experience that we, we, we have uh, gathered over time is that this IK Act in particular is highly technical highly technical, highly political. And therefore you need to get someone who is going to understand the intricacies of, of, of how to handle the concepts. For instance, I will make a, a, an example. The difference between people and peoples changes the whole uh, um, trajectory of the discussion. We know for a fact that we have what is called the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. In that declaration, we, we have um, uh, um, ILO 169, for instance, that talks to uh, um, self-determination of communities. South Africa is not a signatory to, to, to that, precisely because self-determination means something else for South Africa. And we are using the constitution of the Republic that says South Africa belongs to all who live in it. And therefore we cannot take a position that presupposes or that, that, that supposes that there is a, a, a minority group that has the right to, to, to self-determine. So when we train the facilitators on our members, we make sure that we take them through the, 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 the national laws, the international laws, so that they understand how these the, the implications of this. So to that end, we have we have trained a number. We have a pool now of um, facilitators who facilitate in the different communities in the language of the communities, so that the communities are able to engage in the language that they are comfortable with, in the language that they understand. So the presentations themselves have been translated into all different la official languages. Um, when we go to vendor, we have a vendor facilitator. We go to uh, so, uh, so to speaking areas. With all, 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 we, we we have the facilitators for that, and we have also trained 
the students from the, the Northwest University. They are also assisting us with report writing, with the facilitation itself. So we, we are able then to be comforted and comfortable knowing that by the time we leave the communities, they understand exactly what we, we wanted to achieve. And in terms of the reception, yes, we, 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 we get very positive. I, I, I can't think of any community that uh, gave us a, a negative uh, a response to the act. Actually, they, they always tell us that this is long overdue because they can relate to the exploitation that has been happening over years. They have decided cases. They know what, what, what has been happening in their communities without any benefits accruing to them as, as communities. Um, and um, yes, uh, when the consultation on the bill happened, we were receiving a lot of uh, inputs from the communities, some of which had to, to change somehow the direction of how we were thinking when we were drafting the, the bill. So we, 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 we integrated those inputs, but we could not just willingly integrate any input because some of those inputs would either contravene the, the, the treaties that we are signatories to. As South Africa, for instance, we are signatory to the CBD, uh, we are signatory to the Nagoya Protocol, we are members of the World um, Intellectual uh, Property Organization. So there are certain instances where even though we would have loved to take this route, we are bound by our commitment to our international obligations. So even some of the definitions that we used in the IK Act, it's definitions that had to align with both international and our national laws. So in terms of the, the, the register, again, uh, honorable members, it's not only the SIPs uh, that is affected. For instance, in the week, uh, um, in, in my unit, we sit in, in, the, in the committee that's um, responsible for the granting of permits for, for bioprospecting. And we sit in that committee for one reason, that sometimes when the applications are received by, by the Department of Environment and Fisheries, they, there is no acknowledgement of the source and the community where this knowledge has been uh, 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 taken from. So we, we are there to make sure that as the permits are granted, there is a, an, an acknowledgement of the communities and when there are benefit sharing agreements to be concluded, communities are there as beneficiaries of whatever will accrue arising from the use of their knowledge and the, and the knowledge associated with the resource that will be used. So they have a system already with, within the Department of Environment, which we, 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 we requested that as they develop that uh, system, they make sure that it is flexible enough that it can be integrated within our registration system. So that, for instance, part of the information that will be there is whether there has been any benefit sharing agreement concluded with the communities and all that information should appear in our registration system. Um, I think that is all for now, honorable members. Thank you very much. Dr. Um, Prof. Saletti, would that be it? Are there any other colleagues who'd like to make an input? No, no, Chair, this is all that we can uh, 
take into response to your uh, to the questions of the honorable committee members but probably my uh, concluding remark would say that a lot of the activities we've been focusing on are economic centric but the overall uh, achievement will be the restoration of african dignity so some of this work works towards social cohesion as part of the outcomes of the work that we are doing so that we contribute towards the building of the nation. So it's not just a technical work that has to be done, but we have to contribute in the social uh, sector and political sector in terms of the work of indigenous knowledge in the country. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, um, Prof, and to all the colleagues who have contributed to this morning's engagements. Um, we really appreciate the commitment that we see towards uh, strengthening the work that we're trying to do through this particular act. Um, and it's, um, you know, this is the type of work that is, um, that seeks to re redress um, some of the inequities of our, our of our past um you know some of the issues that of course will also come out um Leti, and i hope some of your colleagues will be able to make time to join us on tuesday as we'll be discussing as we'll be having a colloquium on institutional autonomy and part of that discussion of course um you know seeks to look into the type of uh, curricula the type of academia the type of knowledge systems that we acknowledge and appreciate as a society that perhaps are um, also find expression within our institutions of higher learning. And I think as you work with um, TVET colleges, it is an attempt as well to, um, I guess, uh, deconstruct or reconstruct the uh, perceptions we have in society of um, where of, of the hierarchies of knowledge systems, right? That whatever would come out of a, a university ought to be of a greater, I don't know, um, representation that what would come out of a TVET, what is historically um, European or historically uh, European uh, knowledge systems ought to be of greater, I don't know, appreciation than of, of indigenous knowledge systems. And, and I think, you know, <clears throat> ultimately the work we'll be doing through the colloquium is to, is to question, um, you know, some of the um, matters we've sort of normalized in 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 the space of pedagogy and and and, and knowledge and what we understand to be to be knowledge. And I think um, we would we will, if you haven't. Well, I don't think we've actually sent a a formal invite to yourselves. I think we should do that, um, Shanaz, through your facilitation with Anele to ensure that our colleagues from um, the DSI also have um, that particular invite, considering how we would like to see a greater interface between um, the work being done by the DSI and DHET, of course. Thank you so much, colleagues, also for clarifying that uh, the, the, the portal will be up and running once the DG um, yeah, has launched it. And we look forward to that as, you know, capturing this information is, is really important and us also protecting it. Thank you very much um, for your responses to members. And if there are members who feel that their questions or, you know, remarks have not been adequately responded to, please do indicate and our colleagues in the Secretariat will be able to facilitate um, that that information is brought to yourselves. Um, 
what becomes important to us, Dr. Um, Prof. Saleti, is the implementation um, of these recommendations. We, we've seen how some of the recommendations of the, of the committee have found expression in the work that you do. And, and so we, we only expect that, um, you know, it, it, um, we will see further uh, um, progress in terms of the recommendations that have been made. Of course, we remain concerned as well around the funding that is made available for such work, very similar to the arguments we make around um, funding that is allocated to transformation um, in relation to, you know, the, the woman, the gender agenda. Um, link, IKS is, is to a great extent linked to transformation. And so, again, we will be concerned around the funding um, available for that, and we'll be we will continue to monitor um, that as a committee and some of the constraints that are found there. Um, and of course, for us, what what is important is is the implementation of these regulations as you continue to work towards their um, finalization. And um, for what you've presented to us to to reach the 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 ends of of our society. So we'd like to thank you. Um, very much and we wish you well with the work that you will continue to do um, on this work, uh, around this work and um, we also want to of course reiterate the importance for yourselves to work with the Department of Higher Education and Training as we try and um, work around matters in relation to the recognition of prior learning um, and so forth um, and of course, we want to see um, acceleration around uh, commercialization. And we also want to reiterate the importance for us to be very clear of, on when we want to achieve what. So timeframes are quintessential in the work that we are trying to do. Um, so having said that, uh, uh, Prof. Saleti, together with your colleagues, thank you so much for availing yourselves. Um, we will be continuing with our minutes, so uh, you, you are excused, uh, or you may sit through, but uh, you are excused at this point. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chair. We will leave because we have to prepare for the launch. Thank you very okay. much. That's in order. Thank you. All right, colleagues, we'll now be moving on to minutes and reports. If I'm not mistaken, we should have six minutes to adopt and two reports uh, to adopt. So I'll, I'll take them by month. So we'll do February, then do March, and then we'll do the two reports uh, separately. So <clears throat> um, in the month of February, I believe we had... Um, two sets of reports that we need, sorry, two sets of minutes that we need to adopt. Um, first on the 23rd and then on the 25th. On the 23rd of February, we would have dealt um, all the ministerial task teams. Um, and then um, uh, the consideration, or oh, we actually considered minutes on that particular day um, and, and yeah, colleagues will see there on page four some of the resolutions that we made. Um, and then, of course, towards the end of that, just before the consideration of minutes, um, we requested the department submit to the committee regular updates on the implementation of the recommendations of the MTT reports. Then on the 25th, 
we would have dealt with uh, internationalization, both of DHET and DSI. And um, towards the end of those minutes, um, the resolution, the recommendations um, from DHET would have been for them to list the nature of STI agreements with African countries and submit that to us um, from the DSI, from DHET, that um, they should do a feasibility study on uh, or look into the feasibility of developing a legislation that will allow for proper regulations of scholarships by pro- that are offered by provinces, municipalities, private sector, and individuals. Um, so that would have been the nature. The last recommendation there is that the committee should revisit the discourse on internationalization at a later stage. Um, so those are the minutes from Feb. Uh, can I kindly see members who um, wish to adopt these minutes? All right, Honorable Mananiso. Um, oh, sorry, Honorable Mananiso, before you, you come in, just want to make sure that we, uh, Shanaz, we do create, correct? Sorry, yes, Chair. Okay, thank you so much. All right, Honorable Mananiso, you may go ahead. Okay, uh, thank you, Chairperson. I hear move for the adoption of the minutes as a true reflection of the meeting, both the 20. 20- Third and the 25th Feb. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, someone to second the adoption, Honorable Mashati. Thank you very much, Chair. I stand to second the minutes as adopted. Thank you very much, Honorable Mashati. Um, Honorable members, the minutes from the 23rd and 25th of February 2022 have thus been adopted um, and seconded by Honorable Mananiso and Honorable Mashati. I'd like to now move to March. In March, we have minutes from the 2nd, the 4th, the 11th, and the 16th. Um, so on the, on the 2nd, we dealt with um, student unrest at UKZN, DUT, um, interacted with USAF and SALS. Um, towards the end of those minutes, we um, the resolutions perhaps were that um, that DUT SRC submitted presentation to ourselves that uh, NASA's DUT and UKZN and D had convened an urgent meeting. Um, I'd actually just like to check from those resolutions we had. Um, we had requested that DUT uh, at DUT that the SRC and management meet urgently. I actually don't see that in the minutes. Yes, we yes we asked that we asked that NASFAS meet with DUT, UKZN, and DH to deal with these matters. We asked specifically that NASFAS meets with DUT and UKZN to iron out some of the challenges there. But we had also asked that DUT and um, DUT management and, and SRC also meet. So can we please make that amendment or make, yeah, amendment to the minutes. So that essentially that would be an addition to those minutes because I don't seem to see that in the minutes. Um, I think those are the only 
additions I'd like to make, but that is um, the 2nd of, of March. And then um, on the 4th of March, we then dealt with um, the DSI and DHET's second and third quarter performance reports. Um, and we made resolutions or, yeah, there were resolutions that came out of that um, where with, with DHET, we asked for a progress report on the achievement of the reported targets outside of the reporting period to enable the committee to track progress towards the achievement. Um, we then, at the end there, we said the committee will consider an oversight visit to the aerospace system research group in KZN under the theme knowledge utilization for economic development. So that's the, the 4th of March. The 11th of March, we dealt with NASFAS, um, Sorry, we dealt with the NSF, NASFAS, and uh, services, CETA, and their audit action plans, and essentially trying to turn around, they turn around strategies towards the audit outcomes. Um, and uh, there, we basically, you know, at the beginning of our resolutions, it stated that um, the revised audit action plans um, should be sent to the committee within 14 working days. And then the last, um, perhaps the conclusion, um, we stress the importance of getting the entities to operate at their maximum level to fulfill the mandate, their mandate, and have direct impact on the betterment of their lives and uh, the betterment of the lives of ordinary South Africans. And so goes those concluding remarks. Then if we move on to, so that was the 11th. So then we'd move on to the 16th of March, where we dealt with um, DHET uh, on, on, on the student unrest. They gave us a, an overall synopsis of the student unrest. We had NASFAS come in and speak on funding for, for, for students at universities and TBET. And then we also had the presentation by the CGE. Um, key out of that, um was that um well perhaps at the end we said NASFAS um you know we should consider the working session um with NASFAS to deliberate on the wide range of issues affecting its stability. Um so that's about it from the 16th of March. Um with those minutes being presented to members, I'd like to note hands that seek to adopt the minutes or well, perhaps make any um, amendments to the minutes. If not, um, hands that seek to adopt the minutes. Honorable Mananiso. Okay, thank you, Chair. Uh, I hear with adopt the minutes with the amendments that you have just made. Um, yeah, I move for the adoption of the minutes from your, the 2nd of March 4th, uh, 11th and the 16th. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Mananisto. Honorable Itzie. Diabule la, diabule la, salapambe, le benditu nameke, ndiseke, u anarabul, u mananisto, lo kutu tetangoku, itiname ndiseke la, yonke lento kutu tetangoku, sapoto onke la maminets. Diabule. Honorable Lizzie, ask us 
as kosho kwasukuvilwa butini na um honorable members um uh we would then note those minutes of march from the 2nd of march to the 16th of march as adopted um by honorable mananiso and seconded by honorable litsi um i would then like to move to the reports there's two reports one from the oversight visit and the other one from sorry one from the oversight week that we had in the northern cape and the other um that we had at stellenbosch university where it's technically an onsite visit um yeah that we had on in relation to their transformation journey um i'd like to note hands that would like to adopt the the report um from the northern cape oversight visit honorable mananiso thank you chairperson uh before i adopt i think we need to actually acknowledge the work that has been done by our support team uh, at person as one could want to say that i have went through the report and it is a true reflection of what could have transpired to our oversight thank you thank you very much honorable mananiso can i note a hand that seeks to second that adoption honorable mashati thank you very much chair i move to second the report Thank you so much honorable Mashati. Honorable Boshof, I see your mic was open. Is there something you would have liked to say? No, I would just uh, also support but as all been done. Thank you, Chair. Oh, thanks honorable Boshof. Can we have a a further there or someone to second the secondment of the those that report? I think it's very important that we state uh, that honorable Boshof um uh, thirds uh that report thank you very much honorable boshoff um Jane. honorable mashati i was going to withdraw my segment to allow honorable boshoff to say it on a later note <laughs> noted honorable um okay so i then would like to move to the um the the report from stellan bosch university I see honorable Matlati's hand is still up. Okay, I can I note a hand that seeks to adopt. Honorable Mananiso. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, I move for the adoption of the minutes of our oversight for Stellenbosch University as a true reflection. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um honorable members who would like to adopt sorry second the adoption honorable ya lebowa ke lebowa modula stulo ke re le bitso wa le sofetu ntse le yena tebolitsie em ke kopa ho feletsa ga itsebya ka a usima naniso e ka o tsietsa em report ena as a true reflection of what happened kelebo nalebo ha re litsie litsie rena hana gore se o sibueng hona byanong ke sona he a e sichoza sela no sibua earlier on um i would then like to note before i adopt those minutes or indicate the adoption of those minutes asisha nas's hand has gone up can i just note 
uh, what you'd like to say, Shanaz? Yes, Chair. I just, you had now mentioned, you know, on the last report, it was technically, it's like a minute kind of report because it was like an on-site uh, uh, brief with a visit. So the requirement normally is once we apply for money in Parliament to do something, an activity, you have to account for it. That's why we translate that minute into a report to account. One, you've been off um, Parliament in like Parliament time. Um, and two, um, we used money for that um, 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 activity. So now the technicality of that report, because it's not like an extensive kind of report, it's more minute translated into a report. Um, I'm just the bottom of our reports that we obviously want um, the house that we report to in the house, we say report to be considered. Now, once we put that part in, that means that report will be considered by the House for it can be discussed, it can be, um, yeah, it can be up for discussion if we put the report to be considered. So normally with the ones that we do, that's like a minute translated into a report, we can, we have the option of omitting that part if we don't want it like to be a discussion, depending on the, obviously, uh, the content or the nature or the importance or the relevance of the thing. If, if you want to discuss in the house whether you're going to put report to be considered or omit that part and then the report would just be noted by the house so so i think when we because we i think we're going to embark on quite a few of this um on-site brief visit kind of thing which is not um what is it like now in its technical terms like well everything we do is oversight but not oversight as we normally do it um, so, so that part we must pay attention to whether we want the report to be considered or whether we want the report to be noted. Um, yeah. So when, when when we do it, we decide. Thank you very much, um, Shonaz. Well, I think um, well this this one on on Southern Bosch University, we went to the institution to deal on issues on transformation, which I think are very important. Um, matters uh, that perhaps are of state importance and the, the broader conversation beyond just the institution and maybe these reports can assist us in as a committee bringing you know uh, broader topics around transformation in higher education to the attention of the house and maybe um, I think on this one on Stirling Bosch University we should uh, it should be considered and not noted um, I, I, I see the Honourable Mashati's hand has gone up. Maybe, Whip, if you'd like to make a contribution, perhaps also if Honourable um, Akesi, uh, uh, I'm actually not sure now, but uh, if the Shadow Minister of the DA, there's communique we've received that is not very clear, so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling there, but Honourable Members of the DA, you'll indicate to me this communication that says Honourable Makesi is now the Shadow Minister, but there's but colleagues will give us a way forward. Um, but I think, let me just hear the views of the work from the ANC. Thank you very much, Chair. And um, let me echo your sentiments um, in relation to the last report on Stellenbosch. I think it is quite critical that we adopt it. It must go through the House as a report, given the centrality of the issues that we were dealing with. So I would second that proposal that uh, it should be uh, adopted as a report for the House, not only for noting, but for um, for, for discussions. Because in all honesty, 
um, the, the issues that have been raised, they are quite, quite central and critical to the transformative agenda. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Mashati. Um, Honorable members from the DA. Hi, Chair, Honorable King. Um, yes, I would also agree that it should go before the NA, but then it should not be a standalone item on the University of Stellenbosch. I think we actually need a good conversation on transformation in general um, in terms of inclusion and in some cases, exclusion um, of students um, to the to tertiary education. But I agree that it should go forward. Okay, perfect. I think, um, Honorable King, you would have um, you would have represented opposition parties, all of them, um, and Honorable Mahlati, you would have represented the majority party. So I think we're fine. Um, and so I, I think honorable members have agreed that um, we will take it to the house. But um, thank you very much, Shanaz, for that. So having said that, members, I think we do um, adopt that particular report on the oversight visit at Stellenbosch University, which we, Honorable King, we must remember, was not only about Stellenbosch University and their transformation agenda, but also the language policies in the sector at large. So because the department was with us earlier on that day. So I think we, we we will find a way for us to lift the top, the conversation to a to a greater level um, collectively as honourable members from different parties. Um, so having said that, members that 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 report that report um, from SUN is adopted. Noting that um, you know members have adopted these reports on a lighter note, um, you know as a true representation of the work we've done. It thus means that, um, you know, when we debate in the House, these reports, you know, we should be saying very similar things uh, across the political parties and we shouldn't see much contradiction um, from all of us. But that's just on a lighter note, honourable members. Honourable members, thank you so much for your time. Just about next week, we we will be finally sitting the colloquium. I think members um, who've been in the committee um, for a while now um, would recall that we have been trying to sit this colloquium for a number of times, but um, um, due to the ever-changing program of parliament, um, it's been affected greatly because it, it, we, we often try to schedule it on a Friday. And what we know is that Fridays are days that are quite risky when you're trying to, 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 to plan the committee program as when the NA and the programming committee does its own changes. They often try to use Friday as, as days where, you know. Um, so um, the, the colloquium sitting was affected uh, a number of times, and finally it is sitting. We'd implore on, on honorable members to kindly avail themselves, um, please, because physically in the room, because um, this is a, a topic that, um, you know, truly on one end, as we look at institutional uh, autonomy, we also look at academic freedom. We also look at public accountability. On the front of, a, of public accountability, this committee is largely um, affected by, by that end. And members who've been in, in the committee since the start of the SIP administration would recall the challenges that we had um, with, with institutions of higher learning that did not want to, that would um, be reluctant 
um, to appear before the committee without the inter without a, a director from the minister. Those are the really shocking things that we've heard in this committee. I mean, I think that was TUT, if I'm not mistaken. We've seen some of some resistance from institutions like uh, Forte. Um, just to mention, but a few. I mean, not so long ago, there was another institution that was telling us that uh, you know it can't avail itself because whatever. And we had to speak to DG to say, no, these people can't say that. You know, they need to come to the committee. So there are, there are instances of honorable members who, who want to do individual member oversight. Honorable King, Honorable Makesi, I think you've also experienced such where you want to do individual member oversight. And the um the 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 capacity in which you as an individual member, honorable Litsi, would want to do individual member oversight is questioned to the extent of which a, a, an email or a letter will be written to the chair to say, are you aware that this member would like to do individual member oversight? Yeah, I'm aware. And well, even if I'm not aware, they are well within their rights as members um, of, this, of this parliament. And so, you know, we've heard of instances where the department has tried to create some regulation across the sector to create the type of equality that we, we say we want to see in universities um, regardless of their of the of their historic background of, of being historically white or historically black, historically privileged or historically underprivileged, and 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 so if we're trying to create that equality, you know we need to afford uh, the department space, of course, not to interfere, but to intervene and assist the sector in finding the type of equality that we want to see between your UWCs and your UCTs, your Univens and your University of Pretoria. So, you know, from the, from the side of the department, we know the challenges there. The students, we know the challenges there. The, the workers, we know the challenges there. But at the same time, we want to protect the, that space um, of universities around academic freedom so that we don't see institutions of higher learning being used like they were used under the apartheid regime for uh, political, um, um, you know, selfish, uh, regressive, uh, counterproductive political reasons going into the future. But we all need to be, you know, under the, the, the auspices of corporate governance, need to be given the space to fulfill um, our different roles and stakeholders in the sector. So ultimately, through this colloquium, colleagues, we don't, we're not on a witch hunt. <laughs> we're not trying to say to vice chancellors, you know, uh, they, 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 I don't know, they are aggressive and they must give us space. And we're not trying to interfere either, but we're trying to find a way for us collectively as stakeholders to work together through understanding what institutional autonomy means, what academic freedom means, what public accountability means. And there'll be... Right now, as we're planning honorable members, there is a there'll be a, a phase two of this colloquium, so a, a step two or you know part B, where we will then open up the engagement. So on Tuesday, we're looking at um, the, the the key stakeholders, the department, the um, universe, sorry, the department, um, ministry, ourselves as the, as the committee, USAF. Um, SALS workers are represented by COSATU because we know there are so many unions, right? So we have, we have had to try to, we've had to try to find a way to have a body that can that can that can represent as many of the unions in in, in these institutions as possible. Um, and uh, and there are some who had made submissions 
um, in, in, in written format. I remember if colleagues could recall, we had asked for, for, for stakeholders and interested um, members of society to make written submissions to the committee last year. And they did do so. Um, and we've, we've, we've tried to invite some of those members of the public who made written submissions to come and present for about 10 minutes to, at the colloquium. So that will be, I guess, and then of, of course we'll go into discussions. Um, and I, I request that members be very patient with the process because the crux of it is for us to understand where these key stakeholders, what, the, what understanding do these key stakeholders have of what institutional autonomy is vis-a-vis -vis public accountability, vis-a-vis -vis academic freedom. And then from there have, you know, um, ourselves engage, of course, and we'll try our best to open it up to other stakeholders, noting that we are scheduled to sit from nine until four o'clock. And once we're done with this part A and we understand what our different understandings of these topics are, we will then have a second session where we'll open it up um, to allow for as many voices to, 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 to participate. And again, you know, giving us the responsibility as a committee to listen. Um, and then, you know, perhaps um, uh, I know Mampajo is not in the meeting, but Shanaz, you will record this. Perhaps there may be a need for us to um, have a third session where we truly unpack what we what we found from the two from the two sessions we would have had. So maybe even it might even have to be a three part conversation for us to say, okay, what we understand now is that there is a problem, there is a challenge where we feel as though you know in terms of public accountability, it's very difficult to play our role, um, and 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 then you know. Um, then take it from there to say, okay, this is this is this is what we see the challenge to be. What can we do collectively as stakeholders to find a a more healthy way um, for us to cooperatively govern the sector and be able to ensure that what you know the NDP speaks to um, does find expression, and then we're able to through institutions of higher learning, particularly the university program in this case. Um, make uh, create fundamental change for the lives um, of South Africans for them to be self self um, liberated. So honourable um, that's, that's a journey we're, that we're embarking on in terms of the colloquiums. Honourable um, uh, Dr. K. Uh, honourable Kumalo, colloquiums are are, are a, a space that were a space that was initiated by Honourable Mabulani, who's the former chair of the committee to allow for us as a committee to engage on certain matters more, more elaboratively um, and with more stakeholders and allowing for you know, greater thought around these key issues. So this is a, the idea of colloquiums is, a, is, 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 is not new to, 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 to the committee. And um, you know, we want to have many more on other topics, of course, like um, IKS and, and, and a myriad of other issues. I mean, Honorable Melanisa the other day was saying perhaps we should consider having a colloquium on, on um, GBV and gender-related matters or even beyond that transformation in the sector. And even looking into the sciences, we might have to think of having the conversation around transformation. But um, in our work as members of parliament, we also need to allow ourselves space to learn um, and have our own thoughts provoked um, to guide the type of work that we do. And colloquiums also provide for that space. Mm -hmm. So honorable members, we really hope that you will be able to avail yourselves next week, Tuesday, physically um, in Cape Town. And we, we really look forward to CPUT hosting us. Um, and we want to thank um, you know, all stakeholders in advance for availing themselves as well as honorable members. I thought I'd just share that 
before this meeting concludes so that members understand the importance of, of next week's uh, engagement. All right, so having said that, honorable members, this meeting is adjourned. And if there are any other queries you have towards the colloquium, please do share them with, um, with Anele or any of us in, in the various platforms we have to engage. Um, honorable Litsi, I see your hand has gone up. No, no, the meeting is adjourned. I just wanted to announce that I will be there next week physically. I fully okay. recovered. <laughs> no, we're glad to hear that you've recovered. Recording <laughs> stopped. <laughs> the meeting is adjourned. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much.